ask you to turn with me tonight to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. This is such a simple message tonight. I want to simply speak to you tonight on the subject, why I love Jesus Christ. We're going to be considering together the first eight verses of this chapter. But before we unpackage verses 1 through 7, would you note verse 8? Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Underline that, whom having not seen, you love. You know, Peter knew a little something about loving Jesus. In his lifetime, Jesus asked him two major questions. The first question had to do with his person. When he asked Peter, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's a pretty important question, isn't it? Peter's life exam had two questions. That was the first one. Who do men say that I am? Peter said, and he gave him a litany of prophets of the Old Testament. Some say Jeremiah, some say this. And then Jesus, I think, may have stopped him in mid-sentence and said, but Peter, who do you say I am? A question that eternity really is hinged on. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer to that question has eternal implications. But that wasn't the only question Jesus asked Peter. In a post-resurrection appearance on the side of the beach, in the, on the beach where Peter had kind of blown it as a minister and he decided to go back to his own vocation at least temporarily and his influence was great because he took a lot of other folks with him and they're out there fishing and they fished all night and they've caught nothing and he looks up in the dawn light and he sees a person on the beach cooking and John says Peter that's the master and Peter puts on his coat and outer garment and begins to swim to the shore. He can't wait for the boat to get there. His heart is beating fast as he gets to the beach and he sets down with Jesus. And Jesus asked him the second question. He didn't just ask it once. He asked it three times. Peter, do you love me? Now Peter had denied the Lord how many times? Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to confess him the same number of times that he had denied him. Peter, 
do you love me? The first question had to do with the person of Christ. His second question had to do with Peter's passion for Christ. That's a question that I want to sink so deeply into your heart tonight. I want to ask you that question. Do you love Jesus Christ? The interesting thing is, he didn't ask him, do you love the church? I've been around long enough, been around Baptists long enough, pastored 47 years. This is my mid-century mark of preaching. I've learned one thing. It's possible to be a Baptist and be mean. It's possible to be a Baptist and love the church and not love Jesus. Can I have a witness? I mean, I've run into a lot of Baptists that are so enamored with the organization of the church, they wouldn't miss a service if they had to. I mean, it's just a part of their DNA. But you put them in a corner, their their affection and love and surrender to Jesus as Lord of their life is missing. Jesus had a lot of interaction with people like that. They were basically Pharisees, you know. And, and, and to be truthful with you, most of us in this room are recovering Pharisees. Some haven't recovered too much yet. But we all have that nature in us that we inherited from Father Adam to have more in the show window than we have in the warehouse. You know what I'm talking about? And so the Lord comes to us and he says, I'm not asking you, do you love Win Baptist Church. That, that's, that's important. Obviously it is. But he said there's a, there's a question that has to go before that. And that is do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus. Hey, I, I want to tell you love changes everything. It really does. I, I was a, a junior in high school and I I transferred to a brand new high school, a big high school. The, the, the school I went to through the 10th grade, we had nine in my class. I transferred to the big school. We had 38 in our class. And uh, I, I transferred, and I was on the basketball team, and uh, that's kind of why we transferred, so I get a chance to play some basketball and, 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 and in, a, in a really good program, and my, my daddy was a sharecropper, so he could sharecrop in this county as easy as he could that county. And so we just moved. And, and, but, but the thing I hated was I had a girlfriend, you know, in the 10th grade. Now, it was puppy love, but it was real to the puppy. And, and I thought, man, I, I hate to leave that girlfriend. She was a, she was a pretty girl, you know. And, but we moved, and my daddy didn't ask me if I wanted to. We just moved. And the first day I'm in basketball practice, we're going into practice, and the girls are just coming out of practice. And this little black-headed girl walked in front of me. And I said to my brand-new friend, I just met him. He was on the ball team. I said, who was that? He said, that's my sister. <laughs> that was 54 years ago. She's sitting right back there. <laughs> 
Do you know, all of a sudden, I forgot all about that girl at the other school. I mean, I really did. Uh, the first few dates I had with her, I, I'd go on Saturday night to pick her up, and, and her family was in a part of the area where there'd been a lot of tornadoes. And people around my home area were kind of gun-shy of tornadoes. And it would come up a cloud, and every Saturday night, we'd have to go to the storm house. And it wasn't, you know, if it was just me and her, that'd been fine. <laughs> but it wasn't just me and Rose. It was me and Rose and her mother and daddy and her brother and sister and her uncles and aunts and all the dogs. I mean, it was a community affair. And we would spend the whole Saturday night, couldn't even hold hands. <laughs> and her mother said to me, Tommy, you must really think a lot of Rosie. You wouldn't put up with this. Well, I really did think a lot of her. I hung in there. We dated four years. We will have been married 50 years this coming July the 2nd. Love changes everything. But about 18 months after I met the love of my earthly life, I was in a senior in high school six weeks before graduating. I'd signed a basketball scholarship. I had the prettiest girl in school as my girlfriend. I had everything seemingly going for me. Then why did I cry myself to sleep every night? Why did I drive by the church on Saturday night and break out into weeping? Why did I lay down and pull the cover over my head? Because I was filled with guilt I was filled with an inability to live up to my own standards much less God's and it was in that condition that I slipped into church on that Sunday night in revival meeting like this sitting right on the back and that night that 17 year old boy with an empty heart under great guilt the Holy Spirit came and sat in my lap, <laughs> convicted me of my sin. And I came forward that night and gave all that I am to all that he is. And the Lord captured my heart that night. And love changed everything for me. God's love for me changed my life. And my, life, my love reciprocating to him changed my life. Peter said, whom having not seen. Now, Peter had seen him. Peter had lived with him. Peter had eaten with him, had been with him for three years, up close and personal. So Peter had seen him, but he's writing to a church that is under severe persecution. And they had not seen him. And, 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 and Peter is writing to encourage them. And, and he's saying, whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, now why did Peter love Jesus? Well, we can just unpackage just a few of the reasons why right here in the text. I want you to look with me, first of all, at verses 1 and 2. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now church, I want to tell you the first reason why Peter loved Jesus. And I'm right there with him. And the reason why I love Jesus Christ tonight is because of God's grace to me. God's grace to me. I want you to notice two words in verse 2. One is the word elect. Now would you circle that word at least in your mind. And don't just pass over it. And please, please don't enter into a what I call an adversarial dialogue with that word. Uh, there's a climate in our convention now that makes us want to become, I don't, I don't know, argumentative or, 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 or adver, ad, adversarial when we hear that word elect. Now, I'm, I'm not here tonight. Uh, it, that's your pastor's task to teach you about election and all those things. But I, I, I just want to tell you one thing about it. I don't understand everything about it. Can I tell you that? I live with unresolved tension in my theology. But the best I can tell, elect is not a word to be afraid of. It's not a word to resent. It is a word to applaud. If you are a child of God tonight, you ought to get down on your knees and say, God, thank you that when I wasn't looking for you, when I wasn't wanting you, when you weren't in my thoughts, I was in your thoughts. And you loved me enough to pursue me. I, I, can I tell you this tonight? I love Jesus because he chose me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have responsibility to put my faith and trust in him. That doesn't mean that I don't have human accountability, that I have to believe. And that if I don't believe, I can't blame God if I go to hell. I, I'm called upon to repent of my sins and put my faith in Christ. But when I could not go to him, he came to me. And I love him tonight. Can I tell you this? I love him because he chose me. I, I, I loved basketball. And when I, was, when I was in the eighth grade, I was about six foot two and weighed about 75 pounds. I could turn sideways and you couldn't see me. Oh, for those days once again. And, and, and so I, I, I was tall, and I loved basketball, but you know, a six-foot-two, 78-pounder, he's kind of clumsy. And I was all legs, you know, I mean all legs. And, uh, and, but I wanted to play so badly. And, and we had every Saturday afternoon, every Sunday afternoon, we, we would go up to the Sherman gym, and we would have choose-up teams. And Coach Wilton Chisholm was a great basketball player, and DeForest Parks was a, a, a guy who came through Sherman school system and played some college basketball. He was a great athlete. And those two guys would choose up teams. And the rest of us would stand and we'd wait till we were selected. Well, I'm in the eighth grade. I never got chosen. I never got chosen. And the only way I ever got to play was whenever somebody would get hurt or somebody would get tired. They'd say, Vincent, you go in and give him a rest, you know. And, uh, and, and so it went like that for, for about a, a year. And I began to put on some weight. As you can very well tell. And, and I, I began to get some muscle. I began to work hard. I could jump. 
and I began to grow. And by the time I was in the ninth grade, I was starting. I was on the starting five in my high school team. And I started. And, and, and so one day, one glorious day, one Saturday afternoon, we get there to play. And, and Coach Chisholm and DeForest are getting ready to choose. And he looks at me and he says, Tommy, I choose you. Man, I almost become a, a, a charismatic basketball player. I mean, I almost broke out into a spiritual experience. I had been chosen. Now, let me ask you something. How do you think that affected me? Do you, th do you think that made me say, well, hell, boy, I'm the chosen frozen. I don't have to work hard now. I'm chosen, man. I got it made. I don't have to guard hard. I all I got to do is just shoot it. Throw me the ball, I shoot it. I don't have to work on defense. You think I said that? No. I said, Coach Chisholm has chosen me. I'm going to work myself as hard as I can. Amen? Why? Not, not, not so... Not so I am worthy of being chosen, but because I have been chosen. Because he looked with favor upon me. Amen? I, I tell you what, I love him because of his grace. And that's, that's the other word here. You see that grace unto you? That's not just a little phrase. That's what God's done. He's put grace out toward us. I love him. Uh, there, there's another word that, that is almost a metaphor uh, for chosen. There, there's some um, nuances of distinction, but for sake of our message tonight, I want to throw it in here because it, it fits. It's the biblical word adoption. <laughs> adoption means God has placed us into his family he has adopted us isn't that a beautiful word God has adopted us and given us given us a new family he's given us a new future I've got a brand new family with brothers and sisters I got a brand new future I'm going to heaven Hey, can I, can I tell you this? And I've got brand new features. Now, in human adoption, you can't give them the features, but in spiritual adoption, he not only gives us a future and a family, he gives us the features of the family. We start looking like God's children. <laughs> There's an old Baptist statesman named John Havlick. Some of you old-timers will remember John I, Pastor, I bet you don't even remember John Havlick. He was, when I was a kid preacher, he was a Southern Baptist statesman. Now, I'm not talking about John Hagee. Please, don't, um, don't get them mixed up. This is John Havlick. John Havlick and his wife adopted a little girl. And they thought that they had done a good job of explaining to her that they went to the orphanage, they looked at all the children, and they saw her and they said, we want, we want this little girl. This is the little girl we want. And we, we, we choose her. And they thought that they were telling her that, that that would make her feel important. And they thought that satisfied her. Until one day they heard her telling her friends, 
her version of the story. And this is the way it went. She said, one day I was in the orphanage, and this fine-looking couple came in. And when I saw them, I said, I want them to be my parents. I choose them. Now, which version was right? Both versions. They chose her, and she chose them. Oh, that's God. Only God can work that out. And I'm so glad his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. So I just want to tell you tonight that I love him because he chose me. Can I tell you tonight, number two, I love him because he empowers me. Uh, look at that word, uh, through sanctification of the Spirit. You see that? Through sanctification of the Spirit. That means the Spirit is the animator of the sanctification. We don't sanctify ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. You got that? Now, sanctify means that when we are delivered from the power of sin in our life. Now, when we are regenerated, when we're born again, we're immediately delivered from the penalty of sin, right? We don't have to go to hell anymore. We've, we're saved. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. So, so sanctific uh, uh, regeneration takes care of the penalty of sin. But sanctification takes care of the power of sin. That is, the daily deliverance from the dominion of sin in our life. Now, notice what he says. He not only chooses us, but then he empowers us to live the life he chose us to live. Do you see that? He sanctifies us. See, what I'm glad is this. I'm glad the Lord didn't choose me and then say, now, buddy, you're on your own from this point on. That'd be miserable, wouldn't it? If God gave saved us in the sense that we're going to but but the whole Christian life has to be worked out in our own energy we would be miserable but every every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them and 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 it's like this little poem I memorized years ago you know the the difference in the Old Testament New Testament in the Old Testament they had the law to tell us how to live but the law wouldn't give us any power to do it in the New Testament, uh, Jesus not only tells us what to do, but he empowers us to do it. And to put, put it this way, work and do, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But a sweeter song the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Amen? He bids me fly and then gives me wings. I love him because he not only chose me, but I love him because he empowers me. Well, let me go real quickly to the third thing. Can I tell you that I love him because he defeated my worst enemy? Hey, what's your worst enemy? Look at verses, uh, let, let's look at verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or a living hope. 
How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, what's that next word, church? Dead. You know what my worst enemy was? Death. 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 But Jesus defeated my very worst enemy. I heard of a lady out in California who had this notion that if she kept adding on rooms to her house, she'd never die. That it, she'd be immortal. So she, she had one of the largest homes in the country back then, years ago. But one day, the death angel made his way down one of those long hallways into her bedroom, and she died. Friend, death is our enemy, right? But Jesus conquered death. In the process, death wounded his heel. But Jesus wounded his head. Genesis 3.15. The devil did his worst to Jesus. He wounded him. But you see, a heel wound is not deadly. But in the process of the devil wounding Jesus' heel, he mortally wounded the devil in the head. He defeated. I went to Korea. Rosa and I went to Korea a number of years ago. And uh, preached a crusade with a number of other churches that were having simultaneous revivals. There's been an amazing revival going on in South Korea for many, many years. It's the prayingest group of folks I've ever seen in my life. And so we went over there, and it was an evangelistic effort. And I'm a pastor, and I'm, a, I'm an encourager, and you can tell from my preaching, I'm not a harvest evangelist. I, I wish I were more that way. I love to see people saved, but I, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor at heart. Now I'm a pastor at large and a large pastor to go with it. <laughs> but I, uh, I went over there, and the pastor had set up appointments for us to go, evangelistic appointments for us to go visit lost people. And so we went out, and we'd go into homes and businesses, and we'd, here's what we would find. When we would get there, the people would not only be there, but they would have their friends there because they anticipated they were going to get saved. And they they wanted their friends there, Brother Don, to see, to witness it when they got saved. It's the beatenest thing I'd ever seen. And I shared the gospel. I, I forget now. It was either 11 or 12 times in a row. And every time they were saved. Every time. One lady finally refused me. And she said, the reason I won't commit my life to Christ is because my husband forbid me. But then... I was at another place, and there were two people there, and both of them got saved. So it was like I had 13 for 13. And I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen anything like this. But it kind of troubled me. And I, I went back to the pastor, and I said, Pastor, I don't understand this. I said, this is like pulling ripe fruit. I said, why in the world did you wait for a bunch of American pastors to come over here and pull that ripe fruit. I mean, they were just sitting there waiting to get saved. He said, Pastor, you don't understand. <clears throat> he said, our people in South Korea love Americans. 
He said, if it had not been for Americans, we would be communists today. But because you defeated our worst enemy, we love you, we respect you, and we will listen to you. Wow. I love my Lord because if it were not for Jesus, I'd be something worse than a communist. I would be a lost, hell-bound sinner with no hope. But Jesus saved me from my very worst enemy. And I love him because of that. Don't you? Well, I want to tell you I love him because of the rich inheritance he has given me. I grew up in a sharecropper's home. My dad uh, was a sharecropper, always on the wrong end of the share. You know what I'm talking about. I uh, moved 17 times in 12 years of school. We moved at least once a year and sometimes twice. We moved usually in the same school district, just to another farm. So my dad, when he died, didn't leave me much of an inheritance. I had a one-hand saw. That's what I have of my dad. But listen to what the Scripture says. Which has, according to his abundant mercy, mercy has begotten us again into a living hope to an inheritance. See that in verse 4? Incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Folks, I love my Lord Jesus because of the inheritance that is mine that he purchased for me by the shedding of his blood on Calvary because of his death burial and resurrection I have a future in heaven for sure and I love him because he has left me an inheritance I could never earn and I could never deserve I love him because of that, <clears throat> because of the promise of heaven. But there's one more thing, and I'm through. I want to close. And, Pastor, this is really amazing. Uh, the last two nights, you've used a word in your introduction of the service that fits my sermon. If I'm not mistaken, you, you used the word enlightened tonight. You talked about enlightened. I love him last of all, not only because he chose me, not only because he empowers me, not only because he conquers my worst enemy, not only because he enriches me with his inheritance, but last of all, I love him because he enlightens me concerning my suffering. Now look at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. 
he says in verse 5 that we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's, that's pretty secure, folks, isn't it? I mean, I, I've seen inheritance go out the window in, in the years that I've pastored because of, of end-of-life expenses, nursing homes, and this kind of thing. People save up to give their children, and then they have to spend it all. You know what, you know what I'm talking about. They don't have anything left. Well, that'll never happen to God's people because he's going to keep that inheritance. It's reserved in heaven. But notice in verse 6, he says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation or, or testing, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than the gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what that says to me? That says to me that the Lord Jesus gives me purpose in my trials. And I, here's why I love him. I love him because whenever I go through a trial, I always know that he's got a purpose in it for my good and his glory. Now, two things that these, these two verses tell us about our trials. Number one, our trials are for a season. You see that? He says, though for a short time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, see that? So our trials are for a season. Now, implied in the text is a short season. Now, that doesn't mean short according to our recognition, but short according to God's recognition. You see, Johnny Erickson kind of paralleled my career with me. Johnny was, a, was, was paralyzed when she was in high school, and we've kind of had this, she's about the same age I am. She's been in a wheelchair now for about half a century. Johnny has written one of the finest books on heaven. But you know, she has an incredible, you ask Johnny, Johnny, is your, is your trials for a short season? We would think looking on the outside in, no, it's been half a century. You know what Johnny Erickson would say? She'd say, yes. Compared to eternity, my 50 years in a wheelchair is just a blip on the radar screen. Our trials are for a season. Now, to us, they may seem like they're unending. You know, like the fellow said, he, he saw, thought he saw a light at the end of the tunnel and it turned out to be a freight train. You know, uh, that, that's kind of the way we sometimes feel. But God has a season. And then number two, God has a reason. Our trials, you know the hardest thing about suffering is when you don't see any sense in it, when you don't see any reason for it, when it seems to be random and purposeless. Well, God says for the believer in Christ, none of our trials are ever random or purposeless. But God is working through all of our trials to purify us, to prepare us for eternity. Well, did you notice? The Lord did not say to Peter, Peter, did you used to love me? <laughs> what did he say? Peter, do you love me? I have studied assurance as a dying man looking for a loaf of bread. 
I went through a period of doubt in my early days of ministry that caused me to, to search and read and go to my knees and pray to find God's assurance. And this is what I discovered. This is the this is the 30-second summary of all of my discovery about assurance. Every test in the New Testament for assurance of salvation is in the present tense. It doesn't say he that used to love the brethren. It says he that loves the brethren. It doesn't say he that used to obey. It says he that obeyeth. It doesn't say he that used to believe. It says, he that believeth. Every test for assurance is present tense. You see, I can have amnesia and still have assurance of salvation because the Holy Spirit will help us and bear witness with us. I want to ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you love Jesus Christ more than you love him tonight? Can I just say this to you? If the answer to that question is yes, then you need revival. You need to renew the one thing the Holy Spirit said against the church at Ephesus. Great church, but the one thing he said he had against it, you left your first what church? That's it. Will you bow with me in prayer? Love changes everything. It did for me. It will for you. It changes everything. Oh, I, can, I would love for somebody tonight to fall in love with Jesus like I did as that 17-year-old kid on the back row of Ellistown Baptist Church. I, oh, that you would fall in love with my Savior tonight. He loves you so much. His grace is so wonderful. Recognize that he's reaching out, choosing you. You. You don't deserve it, but he is. He's drawing you to himself. Hey, say yes to Christ tonight. If you've never done it, come to Christ tonight. If you know him, but you, your, your heart has grown cold, don't you think it's time to come back into that close, loving walk with him again do you love him tonight now father in these moments of worship do your holy spirit holy spirit do your business in our heart tonight do your office work in our heart tonight do in us everything you want to do tonight and you need to do tonight in order that we might walk out of here in a love walk and relationship with you again we ask it in Jesus' name.